0: You're listening to Episode 19 of Chat About Children with Sonia Bestelich. Let's chat.
1: Discover children at a whole new level. Be empowered to grow with the children in your life. Welcome to Chat About Children with Sonia Bestelich.
0: Hi there and welcome to Chat About Children where we talk about all things children and empower you to grow with the children in your life. Today I chat to Dr. Elizabeth Woodcock. She's a psychologist and we chat about childhood anxiety, a very common topic for us at work and amongst the uh, the parent circles as well. So One of the things that we take a look at with Dr. Elizabeth Woodcock is what is anxiety actually and what are the different types. We also cover signs and symptoms and how to respond as parents and professionals. And we also touch on some valuable programs and websites which you'll find really useful and resourceful. Also, at the end of my chat with Elizabeth, I do have a little exciting announcement to make, so stay tuned in to have a listen to uh, my little announcement at the end of my chat. So let's get started with the chat to Dr. Elizabeth Woodcock. So, joining me today for a talk on childhood anxiety is Dr. Elizabeth Woodcock. She's a clinical psychologist and director of the Selective Mutism Clinic in St. Leonard, Sydney, Australia. And she also provides treatment for children and adults in her general private psychology practice. Dr. Elizabeth Woodcock she completed her training at the University of New South Wales and later worked with children with severe psychiatric conditions at Westmead Hospital. In addition to all her clinical work, she also provides regular training seminars for parents and schools and supervision for professionals. She has over 15 years of experience having seen and managed an extensive number of children including those experiencing anxiety which is our topic today, Elizabeth, childhood anxiety. Welcome to Chat About Children.
1: Hi, Sonia. It's great to be here.
0: So let's just start with the obvious question. When we're looking at childhood anxiety, how do you define it? Like when is a child actually described as having anxiety? Is there any criteria per se that's a bit different to the normal levels of anxiety in the day-to-day?
1: Yeah, well, that's a good question and it's common that parents do ask that. And whilst there's many different types of anxiety disorders, something that does unify the diagnosis for these children is that the symptoms that they're showing not only need to be developmentally inappropriate, but also excessive And so one of the criteria for every anxiety disorder is that the symptoms cause clinically significant distress or impairment in some area of their functioning, which could be school, academics or social, or even being able to go to activities after school.
0: Okay. So the anxiety is at a level that's basically interrupting their day-to-day functioning in what they need to do.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And whilst many kids do experience a small amount of anxiety, it doesn't necessarily interfere with that day-to-day functioning or you might not consider it to be excessive.
0: Yes, yes, absolutely. And in your experience, Elizabeth, has there been a rise in childhood anxiety over the years?
1: So that's quite a tricky question because I think in our experience there's been a rise, but I think that's only because more people are becoming aware of anxiety disorders and people over the years are tending to be more help-seeking. So it's mental health issues are so much more in the media nowadays and people are finding out more about them. It's becoming more normalised to get help for anxiety disorders and not so much stigmatised. So there's definitely an increase there. But if you look at the statistics to actually work out whether anxiety disorders per se are increasing, no one is really able to answer that question because of mainly because of the difficulties with recording statistics many decades ago. So some do believe that rate of anxiety disorders is the same as you know, a century ago.
0: Yeah, okay. Just that obviously times are different in terms of our day-to-day life demands and expectations to a century ago, but then it's all very relative, isn't it? The stresses that were going around 100 years ago were, I guess, different to the stresses we experience today, but there were still day-to-day stresses, is the summary.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and one interesting thing in the statistics is they've actually found that the most wealthier countries actually have higher rates of anxiety disorders. So it's open to interpretation
0: Interesting, there, But
1: it's not necessarily... Yeah, not necessarily the nations that are harder off and struggling more that have more anxiety disorders.
0: Yeah, that's a discussion in itself, I think. But we'll leave that for another time. So when we look at childhood anxiety, what are the common causes for children to receive an anxiety diagnosis?
1: So it's, and this doesn't come into the diagnosis, by the way, but the research shows that For pretty much any anxiety disorder, there's a combination of genes and environmental factors. There isn't actually a gene for a particular anxiety disorder. For example, if someone had social anxiety, they've never found a social anxiety disorder gene. However, these kids tend to inherit an anxious temperament. So they tend to be more sensitive, emotional, fearful, and more highly reactive to things. And then in terms of the environmental factors, We don't always pick these up or notice them, but it's believed that there's particular conditioning episodes for a person in their lives, which leads to the development of an anxiety disorder. So that would be a time when the anxiety is extremely heightened. So a child with a spider phobia might see a parent show an extreme reaction to seeing a spider, or perhaps a spider might crawl over their foot. And we know that episodes like that in children who are already of
0: A suggestion for starting a conversation or getting a child to start expressing themselves how would you go with younger kids like your toddlers who may not have those lingering more like that are presenting first time and then receiving an anxiety diagnosis how does it kind of go across the lifespan in terms of your experience
1: I think we would probably see equal numbers of kids and adults with anxiety. I mean, obviously, if a child with an anxiety disorder receives treatment early on, they're learning a bunch of strategies to manage that anxiety and it's less likely that they will then have an anxiety disorder in adulthood. But many of the adults that we see in the clinic today have never had treatment or even understood what anxiety was until later in life.
0: Mm, Interesting. So,
1: yeah, so that's a tricky question to answer.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I guess obvious question would be, what would anxiety look like in a child? So to a parent, to a professional who might work with children, how might it present for a child, let's say in your toddler preschool age, what are we looking for? How do we know that we might consider a child might be described as being anxious or having an anxiety difficulty?
1: Yeah, I guess that comes back to the part of the diagnosis that says there's excessive levels of anxiety and that's actually interfering with their daily functioning. So if a child is spending an hour separating from their parents at the beginning of the day at preschool, then that's really significantly interfering with that child's day and their ability to get on with things and learn. So that would be a flag that they need further follow-up and looking at whether this is an anxiety disorder and does need treatment that there are so many different types of anxiety disorders and they're going to present in different ways that it's quite a big question. Yeah. so you know a child with OCD for instance is might be spending a lot of their day washing their hands or showering or you know spending time trying to get clean and getting rid of imaginary dirt and germs.
0: Fascinating. Now you've mentioned a couple of times there are different types of anxiety. So can you let us know or describe what those different categories are?
1: Sure. So there's a whole bunch of different categories. So one of the most common ones is called generalised anxiety disorder. And so that's both kids and adults can experience that. And it's uncontrollable worry about just everyday events or the future. So it could be things about like friendships, could be about family relationships, parents' health, war, how they're going at school. So that's generalised anxiety. Another very common one are phobias, which everyone would have heard about, and that's very intense anxiety just in response to a specific object or a situation that's not really causing the child immediate danger. So Mm. there's many different types of specific phobias. could be spiders, insects, dogs. Vomiting is a really common one. Elevators, needles, and like a blood injury phobia. Swimming, the dark, flying, (laughs) and the list goes on. (laughs)
0: There's heaps. So phobias, generalised anxiety disorders, they're the two big categories, I guess. Are there any other ones that you would describe?
1: Yeah, so there's social anxiety. So Mm -hmm. where kids are fearful of social situations or of performing in front of others and where they're worried that other people might judge them negatively or that they'll embarrass themselves and Mm -hmm. cause, draw attention to themselves. Selective mutism is related to that, which is being anxious in those social situations, but being unable to talk. When they're expected to talk, and that typically occurs at school or at the shops or other extracurricular activities that they attend. Yes. Separation anxiety disorder. Yep. Sorry, yep. <laughs> I was, I
0: was just, just going to say you've you've this. mentioned selective mutism, and I just want to pop in that it is a discussion in itself, which you've joined us in the next episode for a chat just on selective mutism and that kind of excessive shyness. So, yeah. So we'll have listeners just aware that they'll want to tune into episode 20 to listen to selective mutism a little more, but sorry, keep going.
1: Yeah, selective mutism is one of the rarer types that people often haven't heard of. So the others that I'm mentioning are a lot more typical and well-known by people. So separation anxiety disorder is a very typical one. People immediately know when you talk about that disorder. So logically it's just that distress that kids experience when they're being separated from a parent or a caregiver. And then that distress usually leads them to cry or have a meltdown or try and resist that separation. Mm. OCD is one that generally people have heard of, and that involves having disturbing thoughts that are obviously not wanted, and those disturbing thoughts cause a high level of anxiety, and then the child tries to reduce that anxiety by engaging in some sort of ritual or compulsion. And the disturbing thoughts can be about germs and dirt, which is a very common form of OCD, but they can be also about something like their parent might die or that they might cause harm to someone else.
0: Mm, Wow, so there's quite a few categories.
1: There is. And just to name another one, there's another one called panic disorder. And so that's where children or adults might experience extreme anxiety, but where the person fears that something's actually happening to their own body. So they're going crazy or their heart is not working properly and because they've then got that added level of fear of something going wrong it then turns into such an extreme level of anxiety that they often develop symptoms like hyperventilation and starting to black out and, and feelings like that wow so there's quite a lot of different types
0: yeah and they all sound really unpleasant <laughs> I guess my absolutely my question is, as a parent and as a professional that works with children, what do you suggest is that kind of first response when we do notice anxiety is occurring in in our child or in the children that we're working with? What's that first response that you would recommend?
1: The most helpful thing that someone can do right in the moment is just to label what's going on for the child, so that kind of demystifies it. If a parent can just say, I can see you feeling really anxious, or a teacher can even say that to a child, that helps the child gradually realise that, ah, what I'm feeling right now is anxiety. And then it's about talking about that in a non-judgmental way, so they don't see that that's wrong or bad to be experiencing that, and to give them hope that this will go away and we can do things to help it so mm-hmm. if it's very extreme in the moment, just taking any pressure off them for the moment, helping them just realise where they are, take a look around them, name five things they can see, name five things they can hear. That tends to just take the edge off extreme anxiety. Mm-hmm. And once that extreme edge is taken off, they might be able to do something like take ten deep breaths or start to engage in a distraction activity that just helps to reduce it further.
0: Yeah, that's
1: good for. You when it's extreme.
0: Yeah, bringing them back into the moment and into the context of where they are, I guess. No, that's very, very helpful as an immediate tip. And so I guess as a professional working with children, if we notice some of those signs or symptoms, we just have to start that conversation with the carer or the parent to see what's happening in the home environment.
1: Absolutely. So start the discussion, find out how much the anxiety is causing a problem for the child, how pervasive it is, work out whether the parent is willing to want to change this and have a look at it and give them hope that things can change and then start to talk through what some of the actual strategies might look like.
0: Excellent. So it sounds like it's going to be helpful to have a child aware of their anxiety or at least labelling it, as you said, using the word feeling anxious, is there ever a time that it wouldn't be helpful for a child to actually give them that label? Could the label make a child more
1: anxious? I think there's a distinction here between a label and knowing about anxiety. So Mm. the actual diagnosis or the label, I don't think, matters too much really for anyone even, I mean, I would always tell the parents what I think is going on in terms of an actual diagnosis. But for the child, rather than a diagnosis, it's more important that they understand this is called anxiety or whatever it is, and them knowing that it won't always be this way and things actually can get better. But in terms of actually giving them the actual diagnosis, like you have OCD or you have generalised anxiety disorder, it's more important the meaning that they attach to that. So I don't mind kids knowing that as long as they don't think that that means that they can't do something because of it. So, you know, I can't speak at assembly because I have social anxiety. And as long as they're not attaching a meaning to it like I'm weird because I have this or I'll always be this way. Mm. So if they can say, yes, I've got generalised anxiety and I'm not always going to be this way and lots of kids have this as well, then I don't see a problem with them knowing the diagnosis.
0: Yes. Fantastic. And I think that's really important is that in our communication, we're not communicating it as a limitation, but rather just a way of describing and helping them understand what's happening. And I think what's important to emphasize is what you've said is that it's not always going to be this way. There are ways that we can make it better and and kind of so that way it's presenting more as a temporary rather than a permanent fixture that's attached to their identity or person. Would you agree?
1: Absolutely. So they're not identifying as this is me and this is how I always will be. It, as you said, temporary is a good description. It's something mm. that we can treat and it will go away.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So what would be some not so obvious signs, Elizabeth, that a child might be anxious, particularly your school age children, they might be a bit better at concealing their worries and their anxieties. So could it present differently to a parent at home? Could there be some signs that are not so obvious that we could potentially look out for or just understand or have awareness about?
1: Yeah, I think for many anxieties, children do present less of the anxiety at school than at home, that's not always the case. But I think children are more reluctant to talk or show their anxiety to others as compared to around their their parents. I mean, one of the obvious signs is just refusal or reluctance to do an activity or go into a situation. One symptom, though, that people don't often immediately think of anxiety is behavioural issues. So if a child is misbehaving or even non-compliant, often we jump to thinking that they have a behavioural problem. But frequently, there's an underlying anxiety there as well. And the other thing is if a child is quite anxious and they're trying to keep that inside and not show anything on the outside, then often you will see tiredness, difficulties concentrating, you might see just general signs of stress and agitation. And if a child finds it hard to talk about being anxious, you might just hear them say, I don't like something. So it seems like more a preference rather than talking about the anxiety.
0: Yeah, and I think you've brought up again another good point where I think it can be hard for some children to express themselves for a couple of reasons. One, do they have the communication skills and the vocabulary they need to be able to effectively describe their feelings, which I'd say even some adults struggle with. And secondly, I guess just that, I don't know, it would affect for some, I'd imagine, their feelings about themselves, their self-worth and that kind of thing. And so it'd be hard to kind of say, hey, I'm struggling or something doesn't feel right for me. How do you help kind of draw your child out of that? Is it harder for parents and easier for professionals? I know it's going to be really individual-based, but if a parent's kind of going, oh, I'm struggling, I just can't get them to tell me what's going on, is there some kind of way that we can do something to help? And what could that be? Even if it's an idea, I know it's not going to be one size fits all, but what could be a couple of ideas that parents could use to just start some kind of conversation or get them to express themselves?
1: Absolutely. Well, I do have a general tip for that. I think in general, parents should just be talking openly about all emotions and anxiety So children are then learning that this is a normal thing to talk about and also to talk about it in a very non-judgmental way. So they can model, they can talk about their own anxiety in an age-appropriate way or talk about their own emotions, again, in a way that's appropriate for the child to hear. And the child is then learning that if I do feel this way, it's okay to talk about it and I'm not going to be put down or ridiculed. It's just a normal thing to talk about. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Excellent. I think part of that, you're right, is sometimes as adults or parents, just verbalizing what we might be feeling or going through could even be helpful to a child. So they're just more comfortable with the whole topic, I guess, or with just even learning some words around feelings. So yeah, that's really good advice. So that would be a top practical strategy, I guess, in terms of, a suggestion for starting a conversation or getting a child to start expressing themselves, how would you go with younger kids like your toddlers who may not have those language skills there? And again, it could present as behavioural issues going on. Are we? Would you still suggest the same thing in terms of just using a kind of age-appropriate language or maybe using a storybook or something like that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I still think even in toddlers, even in two and three-year-olds, you can still use basic words to label how they're feeling. And kids as young as three can start talking about scared, angry, frustrated. So even though they seem like big words, some of us, like they are still words that young kids can understand and will help them. But as you said, definitely books are a great way to teach kids of all ages about anxiety and other emotions. Mm. And I often tell parents at the clinic, go to the library and just type in as many feeling words as you can into the catalogue and just borrow all the books about feelings. And kids tend to enjoy them as well. And then I guess as kids get older, so seven to eight years, they're starting to understand their thoughts and what a thought is And so we can start to then delve into a bit of what we call cognitive therapy, which is teaching them, and this is parents as well, can teach them that how they're thinking is actually affecting how they're feeling. So if I see a dog and I'm automatically going to think, that's going to bite me or it's going to jump up on me then I'm naturally going to feel scared however if we start to think a bit more realistically not necessarily positively but just realistically about the situation then I'm more likely to have you know balanced set of emotions and not feel so scared
0: fantastic and that's all just kind of the beginnings of self-awareness isn't it and that personal development but certainly that self-awareness
1: absolutely that's right
0: so what does the prognosis look like for a child diagnosed with anxiety difficulties? And it's going to be different depending on the categories and the severity and that kind of thing. But I guess you touched on early intervention previously. What hope is there for those that do intervene early that they can then grow into adolescence and adulthood, I guess, with some tools and some management strategies? What's your experience?
1: Yeah, I guess it comes down to how much help the person gets. So we know that kids with untreated anxiety disorders are much more likely to have anxiety and also depression as adults. So the more it's identified and the earlier it's identified and good treatment is sought or even just good strategies are implemented by parents, um, the better prognosis they're going to have mm. as an adult. But then that's complicated a bit by the fact that if you have one anxiety disorder, you're more likely to have another type of anxiety disorder as well. The strategies that kids can learn to manage that first anxiety disorder will hopefully then extend to managing other anxiety disorders as well. But they might need some top-ups in during teenagerhood or early adulthood. Yep,
0: yeah, as life circumstances change and there's different demands and expectations and pressures and that kind of thing.
1: Absolutely.
0: Yeah, so it's just getting that external help and assistance to know how do I apply or modify some of the management strategies I learned some years ago to make it work yeah, for exactly. themselves and make it relevant. Excellent, excellent. So, Elizabeth, are there any useful websites or programs or anything like that that you can think of that would be helpful for children experiencing anxiety or for parents who want to read up a little bit more about it?
1: I think some of the typical mental health websites that address both kids and adults are helpful, like there's Beyond Blue and Black Dog Institute. And there's actually a program called Brave Online, which is a CBT program, which is actually free for parents. So Mm -hmm. it's a CBT. Course and it was written by or developed by the University of Queensland mm-hmm. and there's a component for children to complete and for the parents to complete as well so that's a great resource as well. In Sydney Macquarie University has got a great cool kids program as well mm-hmm. where children go in for weekly sessions and the parents have their own sessions as well and they've got great manuals and resources that you can also buy online as well.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Fantastic. Fantastic. Thank you. So I guess on a final note, what would be your take-home message for parents and educators when it comes to childhood anxiety?
1: Well, I'd say that it's very common that many kids have anxiety, but that it's treatable. And anxiety is one of the main mental health disorders that responds best to treatment. And One thing I haven't mentioned today is that I think it's helpful to get treatment even if a child doesn't meet criteria for an actual diagnosis. So often parents ask us, I'd like to know, you know, do they meet criteria for a diagnosis? Should we get treatment? But children can benefit from strategies even if it's not a full-blown anxiety disorder. Absolutely. And the other message is that it's easier to treat the younger the child. So getting in early and giving some strategies early on can really help.
0: Yep, because I'd imagine those strategies then become just an automatic way that that child then functions or responds to different stresses.
1: Absolutely. And in how the parents
0: help the child as well. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. That is wonderful. I'm really appreciative. We've had a great chat about a very common thing, I guess, for many families and for many children out there. And hopefully, through our conversation, we've certainly covered some valuable strategies, tips, and advice that we can go on with. And certainly seeking additional support when we need it is going to really get that self-empowerment happening for parents and for children alike. So thank you, Elizabeth.
1: You're welcome. It was a pleasure to be here.
0: I look forward to chatting to you in the next episode about selective mutism and excessive shyness. So we'll chat again soon.
1: Great. Thanks, Sonia.
0: Thank you a very valuable and interesting conversation there with Dr. Elizabeth Woodcock on childhood anxiety. And it is very encouraging that supporting our children early does facilitate positive outcomes for the future. Um, And of course, we need to seek that further advice uh, when we feel we need that extra support to help our children. So just to move on to that little announcement that I mentioned at the start of the episode, um, we touched on children's books in this episode with uh, with Elizabeth and my announcement is that for those of you who are not aware, besides being a mother of uh, three wonderful children and a speech pathologist, I am also a children's book author um, and my second most recent children's book is now available for, um, purchase and it does explore children's emotions and weaves within it self-empowerment and strength building and it does introduce children to the early concepts of resilience and mindfulness. Uh, my latest book is called Kisses in Your Heart and I would love for you to check that out on the Chat About Children website. So coming up next episode, I chat to Dr. Elizabeth Woodcock again where we further explore uh, excessive shyness and selective mutism or a type of social anxiety. That is a really fascinating topic which I hope you you will join in and tune in for that one. If you have enjoyed this episode or found anything valuable that you can share with friends or colleagues, please do so and do leave a rating and review. For any further information or to check out some of our other podcast episodes, have a look at www.chataboutchildren.com. I do appreciate your time and attention today. I celebrate you and look forward to chatting soon.
1: Thanks for joining the Chat About Children with Sonia Vestelic. www.chataboutchildren.com.